Hey everyone, if you're a big Michael Jackson fan or a big Spinet fan, be sure to head over and check out an exclusive extended cut of this episode full of even more trivia and debatable jokes. Only on spinitpod.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy. I've listened to Thriller by Michael Jackson for years. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to the Spinet Halloween special! Hello, everybody, and welcome to a spooky episode of Spin It. It's the Halloween special. I'm James, and with me is Connor. Hello, everyone. Hello, hello, hello. I'm recording with the lights off to get into the spooky mood. That's right, to make it spookier. I'm also wearing my Halloween costume right now. Should I ask, what's your Halloween costume? Uh, Well, I didn't think to dress in my Halloween costume till almost right before we recorded, so I didn't have a lot of time to prepare. So I decided to go as something I think both you and I can find kind of spooky okay uh, and that's the mixtaper i'm just as the mixtaper <laughs> you're dressed as the mixtaper for halloween yeah you know, we're roommates so i just went into his room and went into his dresser and pulled out he's got like dozens of the same outfit and everything you know it's all he wears yeah and so I, I just took one and it happened to be my size it fit perfectly almost like it was made for me i couldn't find any of his little like um eye bandana things that he wears eye bandana th- i didn't know what to call it Okay. But anyway, I couldn't find where he kept those, so I made mine out of toilet paper. <laughs> Good. Well, yeah, I mean, at least it's, it's a part of the costume. You need something, so yeah. way to think on your feet. Be crafty. Absolutely. He doesn't know. He's running a little late. He's not here yet for the recording, so he doesn't know I'm in the outfit, so it'll be a big surprise when he sees it. Right. This week, we're talking about Thriller by Michael Jackson. We figured what better episode to do for the Halloween episode than Thriller. It's a Halloween classic. It's a tradition. It's a thriller. Well, the song is a tradition. Maybe the rest of the album. Album, not so much but still anyway tell me about michael jackson how much do you know about michael jackson because i think it's absolutely impossible that you are hearing all of these songs for the first time i've heard all of these songs before there wasn't a single new song for me gotcha that's kind of what i figured the case would be it's not the first album we've done that's been like that these songs pop up a lot on my random playlists yeah and there's good reason for that as they should you know michael jackson was born in gary indiana in 1958 Michael Jackson, he got his start with the family band, the Jackson 5. Maybe you heard of them? Nah. Nah? Uh, well, you should look them up. It's, it's ABC, as easy as one, two, three. He started singing with his brothers when he was only five years old in 1964, which makes him our youngest starter yet. I think the earliest we had before that was 12 so far. Yeah, uh, what, Casey Musgraves at 12? Michael's got her beat by seven years. Yeah. Now, if I remember right, they got started in that early because their father was trying to keep them out of the gang life, right? Yeah. Joe Jackson, their father, and kind of their band manager, I guess, he was really hard on the boys and the band in general. To say the least, it was not a great situation for them to be in. And that had a lasting impression on Michael. Yeah. And on the others too. But, you know, for the purposes of this episode, we'll focus on him. Mm-hmm. But Michael quickly became a standout member of the Jackson 5. He was the front man of sorts, even though he was the youngest. Can you imagine being five years old and being the front man for a famous band? Not at all. I can't imagine being as old as I am now and being the front man for a famous band. Like, I struggled to talk to people when I was five years old. But he did it, and he did great. The Jackson 5 released 50 
15 albums up through 1984, at which point Michael's solo career was very much underway. You'll notice, you know, that's after Thriller came out. Yeah. Thriller came out in 1982. So Michael already had the successful solo career. And after two more years with the Jackson 5, he left the band in 1985 to go solo full time. As a solo artist, he would release 10 albums over the course of his lifetime from 1972 when he was 13 all the way up until 2001. Man. I know. Had his first solo album at 13. Again, our previous youngest artist was barely getting started at the age of 12. Yeah, it's insane to think about. I mean, he's a natural born talent is what that tells me right from the start. Yeah. Well, of those 10 albums that he released, Thriller was his sixth. And a fun fact, four out of the five previous albums were in the top 100 in the US. The fifth out of the five, Forever Michael, peaked at 101. So all five of his previous albums before Thriller were crazy successful. Yeah. And yet, Thriller still blew them all out of the water. It came out in 1982 and it was a huge success. It spent 37 weeks at number one over the span of a little more than a year. And by the end of 1983, it sold 32 million copies, more than any other album to that point. It literally became the best-selling album of all time and was the bestseller in the U.S. in both 1983 and 1984. For two years straight, people bought Thriller more than they bought any other album. Today, it sold more than 70 million copies and it's 34 times platinum in the United States. It's an insane statistic. That's insane. Yeah, I think it's safe to say that this is the most awarded and commercially successful album that we've covered so far and maybe that we ever will cover. I don't know. It's hard to beat this one. Isn't he like the most successful dead artist of all time? I just looked it up. Michael Jackson is the most successful dead singer, blowing Elvis Presley out of the water. Elvis Presley has earned 39 million. Michael Jackson's at 60 million in earnings since his death. In terms of money. Okay, I gotcha. Yeah. You're saying he's been the most successful posthumously. Yes, that's absolutely true. Well, here's a fun fact. You know, I know you're more of a singles listener and you only listen to the songs that were big singles in the past. Sure. When Michael Jackson was recording Thriller, he said that he wanted to make a record where, quote, every song was a killer. And he said, why can't every song be so great that people would want to buy it if you released it as a single? So that's exactly what he did. Like he had radio singles in mind, greatest hits in mind as he was creating Thriller, which is probably why you know so many of them. He very nearly accomplishes that. Yeah, he does. There were two songs on this record that were not released as singles. Uh, Which two? The two songs that were never released as singles were Baby Be Mine and The Lady in My Life. So those are the only two that didn't get official single releases. Everything else stood on its own for at least a little while. As an album, Thriller won eight Grammys, eight American Music Awards, and a ton of other awards. I mean, too many to list. It's in the Grammy Hall of Fame. It's in the Library of Congress for being a historically or culturally significant work. And the Thriller music video is in the National Film Registry. That's crazy. Do music videos often get saved in the National Film Registry? Like, how often does that happen? It's it's a pretty rare thing for anything to be entered into the National Film Registry. It's impressive that Thriller made the cut. And, I mean, it makes sense when you consider its cultural impact. The budget to record Thriller was $750,000, which is almost $2 million today. They used a lot of it. It took a lot to get this record mixed and mastered. We can't talk about Thriller without a huge shout-out to a man named Quincy Jones, okay? He was an integral part of this record and a bunch of other Michael Jackson solo albums. But he's got a giant catalog of songs, Quincy Jones, and they're some of the most iconic, famous songs of all time. He's the real deal. Some of his composing and production credits belong to songs by artists 
artists like Louis Armstrong, Tony Bennett, Ray Charles, Ella Fitzgerald, Aretha Franklin, Dizzy Gillespie, Little Richard, Frank Sinatra, and more. I mean, he's just a legend. He's one of a handful of producers to earn number one records in three consecutive decades. That's a lot of names that I recognize and really enjoy the music of. Exactly. And Quincy Jones has had a hand in all of them. He's like the keystone for this record, okay? So they put together this album and they used this big, massive $750,000 budget because when the album was done, they listened to it and went, I don't like it. And they remastered the entire thing, like front to back, cover to cover. They remixed, remastered, redid it. And some of the songs got even more of a fine-tooth comb than that. I mean, it shows the high budget on this album is evident and it's paid off, making one of the best records of all time. So beyond Thriller, Michael Jackson has sold more than 400 million records worldwide. He's had more Billboard Hot 100 singles hit number one than any other male artist with 13 of them. And he had top 10 singles in five different decades. He's got 15 Grammys to his name in total over the course of his career. He's got a Golden Globe. He holds 39 Guinness World Records. He's in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame twice. He's in the Songwriters Hall of Fame. And he's the only recording artist that's been inducted into the Dance Hall of Fame. I mean, talk about a legacy. Yeah, his historical significance and like fame and contribution to music is up there with like the Hank Williams of the world. Absolutely. I mean, they don't call him the king of pop for nothing. He's earned that title and then some. Yeah. Most of you listening to this probably already know, you might even remember, when Michael Jackson passed away unexpectedly in 2009. He was gearing up for a huge world tour, but he died from an overdose of propofol, a sedative drug that was administered by his own personal physician. And it was a tragic accident. It wasn't like malicious or anything like that, but what a disappointment. Well, I remember where I was when I found out that Michael Jackson died. I was at summer camp in the middle of the woods and still everyone was talking about it nonstop. Yeah, yeah, I don't remember where I was, but I remember it being significant. Yeah, definitely. I mean, one of the most significant celebrity deaths that I've seen in my lifetime. And now that we've covered all that, I guess it's time for a spooky Halloween episode of Factor Spin. I I know the mixtape is very excited for this episode. He loves Halloween. It's his favorite holiday. Is it? Yeah, you know, it's the one time he gets to dress up in something other than his mixtape outfit. Jeez. Add it to the canon. (laughs) This will be your first go at it since your humiliating defeat. Yes, it will be my first go at it since the terrible, awful Smashing Pumpkins week. That was kind of a soft Halloween episode, so maybe Halloween just isn't your holiday. October's not my holiday. Is the mixtaper there yet, or are you going to fill in dressed as him? (laughs) So, yeah, the mixtaper's here. Okay. So without further ado, I guess I'll give you the mixtaper. Hey, it's me, the mixtaper. I'm here. I love Halloween. I can tell. Yeah, I've been told it's your favorite holiday. It absolutely is. Uh, You know, except for National Evil Day. Right. But most people don't recognize that as an actual holiday, so. No. Let's get into the facts or spins this week. I found some spooky facts about Michael Jackson. I'm sure you did. I was excited. I bet there was plenty of facts out there. I wanted to dig more into him, but I couldn't do too much because I didn't want to spoil what you're about to do. Yeah, let's just jump right into it. My first fact for you. Hit me with your first fact. He owned a zoo. Okay. Uh, a zoo with a terrifying curse. Okay. How much of this is a Halloween episode bit? Like a zoo zoo? Like an accredited, like a... So he had a zoo on site at the Neverland Ranch, which was, you know, the big mansion ranch he had. Sure, yeah. 
And he had a plethora of different animals that we will get into here as we talk about this terrifying curse. Okay. I personally believe that there's a terrifying curse on these poor animals because many of them went missing after his death. Okay, that's the curse then? Yeah. Went missing like they just disappeared out of locked cages? We have no idea where they are. But were like doors open, tracks found, anything? Like were there signs of them leaving? Nope, just mysteriously vanished. Okay, how many animals went missing? Are we talking about like hard quantity well let's just go through some of them one by one because there's some interesting information about these animals okay so let's start with the tigers sure he had two tigers named sab and thriller thriller unfortunately died of lung cancer in 2012 okay and supposedly sab is still there living well but i the mixtaper am a little i don't know if i believe that because sab is nowhere on any of the list of animals available to sponsor or donate money to as of four months ago where is sab we need answers Sure. So so that's the tigers. Let's move on to the elephants. The elephants? Yeah. He kept elephants at the Neverland Ranch. Specifically one. He had a 5,000 pound elephant. The elephant's name was Gypsy. That's insane. Assuming it's true. I could be making all of this up. Yeah, you could. But tragically, the curse struck after Michael Jackson's death. The elephant vanished and no one knows where it went. How do you lose an elephant? How do you lose a 5,000 pound elephant? That's what I'm saying. It's gotta be a curse. Well... You don't just lose a 5,000 pound elephant. You don't just sell a 5,000 pound elephant and nobody can find it, you know? You don't just tell the truth about selling a 5,000 pound elephant, I think is the real mystery here. All right, well, that's the elephant. Let's move on to his snakes. Yeah, tell me about the snakes. Could they moonwalk? <laughs> they could moon slither. <laughs> That'd be great. He had a lot of different reptiles, but two of Michael Jackson's favorites were his pet snakes, an albino python named Madonna, and Muscles, a boa constrictor. Mysteriously enough, Muscles went missing. Mm, maybe it got out and ate all the other animals. <laughs> it's just a python. I'm imagining like in the cartoons when like the cartoon snakes eat something, you can see the full outline of what it ate in its stomach. Yeah. I'm imagining that, but with an elephant. Yeah, that's... <laughs> That's probably what it was. I bet. I solved the mystery. Next up, we have giraffes. Mike, how did I can't even? It's a full zoo. It's a whole <laughs> zoo. I mean, this isn't just a couple of animals here or there. This is elephants and giraffes. Nope. And, oh my gosh. Yeah. He had four giraffes at the zoo named Rambo, Jabba Jr., Princess, and Annie Sue. Wow. Within a space of two weeks in 2009, both Rambo and Jabba Jr. died. Whoa. That's sad. Oh, we're not done. Next up are the chimps. All right. Thanks. More. <laughs> Oh, gosh. Michael Jackson had three chimps. The most famous of the three was named Bubbles. You may have heard of Bubbles. I have. I was thinking that. Michael often referred to Bubbles as his son, and Bubbles often went on tour with Michael. That's where I thought I heard of him. I've heard of Michael going on tour with Bubbles the chimp. The other two chimps were named Max and AJ, and now here's where things get interesting. Bubbles actually retired four years before Michael Jackson's death and was replaced with Max and AJ. They took turns filling in for him him unbeknownst to the public everybody thought it was still bubbles wow bubbles who literally grew up in front of the paparazzi now hates cameras goes berserk when he sees a camera so what happened to him why was he retired why was it covered up oh maybe bubbles cursed the zoo after being retired against his will oh i don't know 
This is such a long fact. I told you. I warned you. There's a lot of weird information. Finally, Jackson had five dogs named Black Girl, Spanky, Shadow, Large, and what? Sasha. I, I've questioned for a long time Michael Jackson's naming of things. I mean, he has a child named Blanket, right? But some of these animals <laughs> are also a little out there. What's wrong with the name Spanky? Honestly, not as much as the dog <laughs> named Large. Oh, well, maybe it was a large dog. I mean, I guess... I <laughs> I don't know. Like, why would you name something after such a descriptor of it? I, I mean, like, what? I don't know. Why not? It's a dog. And this is my giraffe, tall. <laughs> like, it's the same thing. Why would you do that? And my cheetah, fast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, anyway, that's besides the point. I just, some of these names, man. Okay. Unfortunately, all of these animals are on the spinet milk cartons. None of these animals were found after his death. They've all disappeared. The dogs? Unknown. We don't know where they are what happened to them wow and that wraps up the neverland ranch zoo that's insane i i mean that's so much information yeah and all these poor animals were cursed. And they're missing. So many animals missing. But is any of what I just said true? Yeah. Oh, a lot of what you just said was true, <laughs> I think. So are you saying that this is a true fact? I'm going to go out on a limb here, and I'm going to say that this is a true fact. Locking in fact. Yes, I'm locking in fact. All right. Well, that was a good thing to lock in, because this is indeed a true fact. All of these animals. I can't believe it. <laughs> I know. He has all of these animals, and a bunch of them have gone missing. Wow. you think it would have been a little harder to make that many significant animals disappear and not pop up anywhere ever. Yeah. All right. I'm back on track a little bit. So up next, Michael Jackson paid a witch doctor to put a death curse on people. Hmm, that's a very Halloween-oriented <laughs> fact, isn't it? It is. Um, my immediate question was, how many people? 25. 25? Did any of them die after he did this? Not that I'm aware of, so I think it was an unsuccessful ritual. How much did he pay for this to happen? He paid over $150,000 across two separate rituals. Wow. And so he got 12 and a half each ritual? <laughs> No, well, only one of the rituals was the death curse. The other one was a slightly different ritual. Oh, slightly different how? Uh, it was about getting money. To pay for the witch doctor, yeah. yeah. Well, right. At the time this was all going down, Michael was already deeply in debt. I don't know if you know this, but at one point in his life, he was spending over a million dollars a month on things, and it put him in a financial hole. Well, on things, he had a zoo. Yeah, obviously he was going bankrupt slowly. You got to take care of all those animals. So let's start with the first one, the one that was about the death curse. How? Hold on. So you... you you're saying he was bankrupt. At what point in his lifetime was this death curse issued? In the year 2000. Oh, okay. So right near the end of his album releasing career. Yes. Who did he imbue the death curse on? Who were his 25 targets? Two of the known people on the list were David Greffin and Steven Spielberg. Spielberg? What? Yeah. Yeah, tell me about Spielberg. Did Michael Jackson hate E.T.? Yeah, well, Spielberg was to be cursed because he turned down Michael for the role of Peter Pan in his movie Hook. Oh, oh, I mean, he lives on the Neverland Ranch. If you uh -huh. lied about this, that was clever. Okay, Spielberg for Hook. Sure, I think Michael Jackson would not have been a great fit for the movie Hook. What do I know? Uh, apparently as much as Steven Spielberg. <laughs> 
Any other names on the list that matter? Not that matter to that, I recognize. Okay, tell me more about the rituals. So, it was a blood-soaked voodoo ritual that involved the ritual slaughter of over 42 cows. What? And it was the cow's blood? I was about to ask whose blood. Yeah. I think you answered my question. That is so much blood. Soaked the voodoo dolls in cow blood, and, you know, they were probably voodoo dolls of the 25 people, and you dip them in the blood, curse them, people die, right? That's probably the idea of it. That sucks. Yeah. I mean, like, a death curse is whatever. You're not going to kill anybody with a death curse. The awful part is that you did kill 25 cows. Oh, no, no, no. Not 25 cows. Over 42 cows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> for 25 people. That sucks. Wow. Okay, so that's the first ritual. The, the cow sacrifice blood voodoo doll. This Halloween episode, I, I didn't, I wasn't sure how Halloween it was going to be, but me just saying the sentence cow blood voodoo doll <laughs> ritual, I mean, that's, we've really taken it to a Halloween place, haven't we? Yeah. What about the other ones? So the second ritual was performed by an Egyptian woman after showing Michael a pile of gold she claimed she conjured and said she would conjure him 50 million in gold if he paid for the ritualistic slaughter of dozens of sheep and chickens. Why is Michael Jackson killing so many animals for nothing? Well, hang on. I didn't tell you if he got the 50 million yet. It might have not been for nothing. Yeah. Did he get the 50 million? Oh, absolutely not. It was for nothing. I was, <laughs> was going to say. I just didn't want you to jump the gun, you know? Don't assume. Yeah. I mean, in a certain sense, he got it after he died he kind of is like a monkey's paw eh, well. he got his wish but he had to suffer consequences anyway is any of what i just said true it's insanely hard to tell <laughs> i don't know i think this one's a spin i don't see this being true oh with a spin no he doesn't seem like a guy who could allow so many animals to be killed and i don't think especially since he owns a zoo it's, exactly he seems like a guy that cares about animals at least to some degree i don't want to like put him on a pedestal yeah. but at least he wouldn't want to kill 50 cows i guess if he's at a low point maybe he would have considered a witch doctor but that just doesn't seem to align much with what i know about the man so i'm gonna say spin well apparently you don't know him well enough because this is a true fact this is a true <laughs> fact this is all true wow yeah, it is. This next fact feels like something out of a sci-fi horror film. Oh, another spooky fact. Yeah, oh, they're all spooky, I warned you. Michael Jackson tried to prolong his death and defy the aging process. Oh, I do know a little bit about what I think we're going to get into here. Are you talking about the rumors that he slept in a super pressurized oxygen tank? I am indeed talking about his oxygen chamber. Okay, yeah, so what I know, let me just tell you what I am familiar with about him. Sure. He was supposed to have slept in this tank, which was like greater than one atmosphere of pressure pushing down on him. And for some reason, that was supposed to slow the aging process. And it might have been some special pure kind of oxygen in there, too. I think he outright denied that he slept in it. But I do think that he was confirmed to own one and that he would use it from time to time, not maybe for prolonged sleep. But I do think that he had one and used it. So that in terms of defying aging, I think that checks out. Is there anything else to this prolonging death bit? So. So let's jump back a little bit, get a little background information on this. Right, please. In 1984, he struck a $5 million deal with Pepsi to do a commercial. Oh, yeah, this is pretty infamous. Yeah, and while filming this commercial, his hair and face caught on fire, causing him to suffer second and third degree burns. Like you said, very infamous thing that happened to him. Yeah, and Pepsi paid out a lot to settle that. Yeah, something that they do with severe burn victims is they put them in an oxygen chamber because it helps accelerate the healing time by encouraging the skin cells to regrow faster using like you said the pure oxygen the added pressure things like that sure this is what gave him the idea to purchase one for himself and take what he called prolonged naps in it 
to try and slow down the aging process. He claimed to have taken five to six hour naps in it on a daily basis. Wow, that's insane. I guess he might as well have slept in it. I guess I was wrong about that. You know, you, you start to age and die as your skin cells don't regenerate at a fast enough rate, right? Sure. Your regeneration slows down. And so his theory was if this helps speed up cell regrowth, it would keep the cells regenerating at faster speeds longer, therefore slowing down how fast you got old and would die of old age. Uh, right. Yeah, a little disclaimer. There's absolutely no medical basis for that, right? This is all just stuff he thinks. No, absolutely not. I am just want to clarify <laughs> for the listener. That's baloney. That was his personal theory. Like I said, science fiction. Right, right. <laughs> it's definitely fiction, but is any of it true? I feel like it's true. I know a little bit about the oxygen tank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think this is a true fact. Locking in true. Yes. This fact is spun. What? What'd you spin? I didn't spin anything. That's what makes this fact so crazy. Michael Jackson spun this fact. He later admitted in life, because he did truly say that he would take naps in it and bought an oxygen chamber and all of that. It was all a stunt to promote the movie he was in that was coming out later called Captain EO. What? was produced by George Lucas. What? Yeah. So that fact got spun on me before I even heard you do it. Wow. I know. Go look at the image I just sent you. It's a picture of him in the oxygen chamber that he took again as part of the stunt. Wow. And it's what really helped perpetuate this rumor. Incredible. Yeah. So this fact, the mixtaper didn't get you. Michael Jackson got you. I'm honored (laughs) to have been lied to by the king of pop. Wow. I got one more for you. Okay, one more. Let's hit it. He tried to buy Marvel Entertainment. Oh, when? Like, give me a year. In 1998. Okay, wow. Okay, so they were well into their rise to greatness then. Not cinematic greatness, mind you. Were they? Yeah, they had Spider-Man. Marvel Comics had been around for a long time. This is Marvel Entertainment, specifically the movie side of Oh, okay. That's an important clarifier. I thought you just meant Marvel, the company, like the whole umbrella. Okay, so just the movie side. Michael Jackson just wanted the movie side. Why? It's not like Marvel movies or superhero movies at all were it then. You know, they weren't really the thing that happened a little later so what was his interest it's because he wanted to produce and star in a spider-man movie oh no (laughs) michael jackson wanted to be spider-man yeah imagine getting michael jackson produced and starred spider-man instead of sam raimi and toby mcguire spider-man flipping he would direct it i'm spider-man and this is my villain arms (laughs) come on that's exactly (laughs) so you might be wondering where the spooky halloween side of this fact is well uh sure yeah what is it in 1996 marvel entertainment they filed for bankruptcy and so stanley started looking for people to buy it and went into talks with michael jackson and i mean to me the mixtaper what's spookier than crippling debt and bankruptcy not much yeah this is a pretty spooky fact Now, you might be wondering, why didn't he buy Marvel Entertainment if he wanted to? I wasn't, but now I am. The deal was shut down, and we don't know why. Oh, just canceled, huh? Because Stan Lee said in an interview after Michael Jackson's death, he just said cryptically that the deal was shut down. He didn't say by which side or if it was by a third party. He didn't comment on how or why it was shut down. He said the talks were shut down. Wild. This is a weird fact. Yeah. I don't know whether to believe this or not. I think I'm going to say that this is true. You're going to go true again. You think he really tried to buy Marvel Entertainment to be Spider-Man? I don't know. Because we've already <laughs> talked about how he wanted to be Peter Pan and an actor. Yeah, lock in a choice. I, I think I'm sticking to my guns and I've got to lock in true. You're locking in true. I've already got one right this week, so it can't be any worse. Alright, you're hoping to go 50-50 here? I'm hoping to go 50-50, but at least it's not a shutout. I couldn't do any worse than Smashing Pumpkins. That's true. I'm just going to lock in true and then we'll go from there. Well, you pulled it back this week. You went 50-50. Oh. This is a true fact. It's good to <laughs> be back 
Wow. <laughs> we could have had a completely different Marvel Cinematic Universe. Yeah, he would be even more of the richest man after death if he had bought Marvel. Yeah. I hope you thoroughly enjoyed these facts, uh, audience. A lot of the details from especially the first fact and maybe even some of the details from the second one probably are only going to be on the B-side cut of the episode because there was a lot to talk about. There was a lot. So if you're not listening to that, go listen to that. I highly recommend it. There's a lot of interesting information about his animals and his curse rituals. That stuff will be on spinitpod.com. So check it out there if you're interested. Yep. Well, Mixtaper, thanks for coming by. Happy Halloween. I'm like the epitome of trick or treat. Smell my feet. Give me something good to eat, you know? You really are. Yeah, you're trick or treat. I'm going to go get ready for the big day. Yeah. Bye, Mixtaper. And welcome back to You're Not the Mixtaper, but you're dressed like the Mixtaper. Welcome back to Connor, dressed as the Mixtaper. Yeah, this is my Mixtaper impression. Doesn't it sound good? I worked on it really hard. Well, you do a pretty good Mixtaper impression. I got to hand it to you. Thank you. Thank you. I thought that was pretty good. Been practicing in the mirror. Uh, you did pretty good this week. Glad to see you were able to pull it back and only get tricked half the time. Well, and the Mixtaper didn't even get me on one of those. Michael Jackson got me, so. It's true. Let's go talk about the album art. That seems like a thing we should do. Yeah, we should. The cover art of Thriller is iconic. Yes, it is. It's mostly iconic because of the record that it is covering. However, you can't miss it. Yeah. It's Michael Jackson all reclined. Like, he's just the coolest dude on the planet, you know? He's got that swagger. It's true. It says up at the top, Michael Jackson Thriller in this really fancy script font. It looks like he, like, signed it, right? It looks like somebody who would be, like, writing. Yeah. Now, I don't know if you know this, but there's a hidden piece of this image that you can't can't see on most versions of the cover. Uh, I do know about this. I, I figured you might have come across this in your factor spin research after we started talking about it. But on this full picture of the album cover, outside the bounds of the square, there's a tiger cub perched on Michael Jackson's knees. Yeah, I did a lot of research into that specifically to try to find out if that tiger cub ended up being Thriller the Tiger that was mentioned in the factor spin. Yeah, I couldn't find confirmation or denial that it was. So my personal headcanon is that it is. I think it probably is. It'd be cool. It's a good reason to name your tiger thriller yeah it's a pretty simple album art there's not a lot going on or to talk about it it's more just the background behind it that's interesting mm-hmm. well we've talked about all that background information long enough i don't know about you but i want to be starting something and it just so happens that want to be starting something is the first track on this record maybe you know it i do it's a good song yeah it is it's a good starter for the album it really kicks the energy level of the album off high and sets you up for what to expect on the rest of the album oh yeah this has to be one of the best most infectious opening tracks of all time like lyrically it's pretty strong musically like you said it exactly sets your expectations for the entire record lyrically is where i'm gonna disagree with you a little bit in classic connor fashion towards the end of the song i get a little tired of hearing i said you want to be starting something you gotta be starting something it's just a long song is the problem you know it's six minutes and three seconds it's a long song the whole premise of the song is you want to be starting something people are starting to spread all these uh, spooky rumors about Michael Jackson. There's just rumors, but I said spooky because it's Halloween. <laughs> you know, it's kind of this idea that no matter what you do, it's going to be wrong. You're supposed to get under, but you're too low. You're stuck in the middle and the pain is thunder. There's confusion and there's no correct way out of the situation because no matter what you do, everyone's going to say you made the wrong choice. Yeah, I get that. It's a good concept for a song and he executes it extremely well. I think it's just a little on the long side for me. Yeah, you're right about that. Wanna be starting something just has this amazing post-disco half pop half rock vibe like 
Absolutely. You almost have to love it. The bass and the trumpets in particular were just the icing on the cake for me. Oh, yeah. The instrumentation's great. The music's great. The song in general is great. I love the song. It gets snubbed from top three or honorable mention territory due to its repetitive nature. Just because it's so long? Long and repetitive cuts it from the top three in honorable mention. I gave that to some of the more standout songs that were more unique. That's fair. I also couldn't believe the line, talking, squealing, lion. That's such a great combination of words, you know? I mean, it doesn't propel the song lyrically in terms of storytelling. It just says the same thing multiple times. But it's such a cool way to express this. This talking, squealing, lion. Yeah. I feel like that's a certified poetry moment. It's certified poetry, and it's especially certified poetry because he changes it with each verse, excluding the final kind of run-through of it. Yeah. But verse 2, instead of that, it's treacherous, cunning, declining. In verse 3, it's talking, squealing, spying. So he changes it each time, and I think the nod to how good he is at crafting lyrics that he can change that each time and still make it work and have that same impact, the same, you know, oomph to it. Yeah. The bridge is also a little crazy on this one. It's hard to forget. Lift your head up high and scream out to the world, I know I am someone. That's a surprisingly powerful lyric. If you're just listening to Michael Jackson for the groove of his tracks, like Beat It and stuff, you might not dig deep enough into his lyrics. Yeah. But I found the bridge to be super impactful. Like, it packs a big punch. And it kind of caught me off guard when I started really listening to it. Yeah, his lyrics are actually quite well-written and impactful. But they kind of get masked by the funky beat that people get sucked into. The outro of the song, The Mama say mama sama makusa he actually got sued over that a little bit really how so yeah well a lawsuit alleged that they had illegally sampled a song called soul makasa by manu Dibango. so it was this really niche disco song by one guy that that line the mama say mama sama makusa was taken off of he sued jackson Dibango did and they settled out of court for one million french francs Oh, interesting. That's most of what I have about Wanna Be Starting Something. Just a fun song to listen to in general, I think. Well, then that means it's time to move on to Baby Be Mine. Oh, I love this song. I know we said it wasn't released as a single, and I guess in the context of this record-breaking album, yeah, it's gotta be one of the weaker tracks, but man, it's a bummer. Baby Be Mine is such a smooth groove. Like, the R&B is strong on this track, and I love it. Yeah, it absolutely is. It's a great song. There's not really a bad song on here. No, I'd agree with you on that. And I'm going to be honest with you. I'm in that scenario again where Conorable Mention I want to give to just about every song on here that doesn't make it the top three. Yeah, it's tempting. Like right now in this conversation we're having, I want to give it to this song, but... Oh, wait, actually, I did give it to this song. I actually did in my notes. I gave it to this song. Oh, good. Oh, good. Thank goodness. <laughs> I kept going back and forth between this and something else. So I'm glad I went with this. Yeah, as you should be. I kept going back and forth between giving it to this or Human Nature, which I also really like. Baby Be Mine, This Girl Is Mine, and Human Nature are kind of like the three ballads of the album. Yeah. And I kept going back and forth on which one of those three I wanted to be the honorable mention because I liked them all. And I settled on Baby Be Mine, mainly because of the funky rhythm with the music and which he sings like it just really stands out the way he sings baby be mine yeah he's got a great vocal yeah he does it's just such a fun little beat yeah and it's a tight song too it is it's not complex the lyrics are all great i mean i don't need no dreams when i'm by your side every moment takes me to paradise baby be mine and i'll give you all i got to give i mean you you sum up that verse and that's the song yeah and it's great that he's able to take that simple emotion and convey it simply and yet present it so powerfully 
It is weird too that we have such a high energy first track and such an R&B grooving second track. And then I feel like The Girl Is Mine, track three, really slows us down properly into a nice ballad. I feel like we work our way down towards it from the high energy to the medium energy. And now we get a, I don't even want to call it low energy, but just slow song. Yeah, I'm interested to hear your opinions on this song because this song is a duet with Paul McCartney. And I know you're a big fan of the Beatles. I am a big Beatles fan. That's true, and I've said it before. One thing that really surprised me about this song is that The Girl Is Mine was Thriller's lead single. This was the very first taste of Thriller that anybody got. Really? Yeah, crazy, right? Because it doesn't have that lead single quality to it, necessarily. No. People heard this first, and they were skeptical about how well the record would do. I'm not surprised. What a joke in hindsight, by the way. Imagine hearing the first single ever from Michael Jackson's upcoming album, Thriller, and being like, oh, the whole record's gonna be a flop might not even be worth my time <laughs> that's funny yeah it is i like this song honestly uh i probably like it more than it deserves because of paul mccartney but i tried to be objective uh that's i guess <laughs> this would be unfortunately again this whole album is pretty darn good but something's got to rank towards the bottom so this would be in the bottom three probably for me <laughs> i'm looking at the list and honestly i think same i don't want it to be <laughs> yeah you probably want it to be less than i do and it just has to be compared to everything else. I'm just looking at it like, well, want to be starting something? No, that can't be bottom three. Thriller can't be bottom three. Beat It can't be bottom three. Billie Jean can't be bottom three. Pretty Young Thing can't be... I was like, man, all of these songs have to be above this. <laughs> yeah. Michael called this one of his favorite songs to record because he got to work with Paul McCartney. He said it was pretty exciting and we just literally had fun. Maybe one of the reasons that this was the lead single from Thriller was because, I guess, first of all, with a big name like Paul McCartney, but then also, if it was one of his favorite tracks ever to record, Chord. I'm guessing he was pretty fond of it. Yeah. It's just so soft and floaty. Like, it's got such a dreamy vibe to it, and I love it. It is. It's a good song. One of the parts that always gets stuck in my head on this song is the part where Paul goes, I love you more than he, and then Michael goes, well, I love you endlessly. Oh, the melody on that is just so catchy. I mean, that really plays to both of their vocal strengths so, so well. Yeah. That's a highlight moment of the song, and to a lesser extent, I would put it on the highlight reel of the album. Interesting. Yeah, and I mean, it takes a lot to pull that off, because just the line alone seems a little bit buffoonery, like the rhyme he with endlessly that way. It's kind of like broken English in a way. I mean, I love you more than he. The sentence, the syntax is weird on that. Yeah. The syntax is weird, but they pull it off with how they do it, which is something that's hard to do when the syntax is so weird. Are we ready to move on to the title track? The most Halloween-y song maybe ever made. Yeah, Thriller. This is not a Michael Jackson original. Rod Temperton wrote this song, and he initially called it Starlight. Whole different set of lyrics, whole different title, everything. Yeah, I saw that when I was doing Patrick Spen research. Yeah, he offered it up to his own band, and they didn't want it. They said, nope, we'll pass. So Quincy Jones said, hey, come up with an album title. And Temperton said that he tried several, but Thriller just randomly popped into his head, and he could quote unquote see that title at the top of the charts very clairvoyant so he said thriller's gonna be the name of the album let's take starlight and turn it into thriller so this new theme became what the song is today that we know and love. Thriller is one of only two songs so far to chart annually since its release for a holiday. Any guesses for the other one? Probably something Christmas related, I would assume. It absolutely is, yes. Is it Mariah Carey? Yep. Yep, uh-huh. All I Want for Christmas is You. Thriller and All I Want for Christmas is You are the only two holiday songs to chart annually. That's crazy. And we can't talk about Thriller without talking about the music video for Thriller, which we kind of mentioned a little bit. I'm 
mean, everybody knows the little like dance with the arms going back and forth. Like that's a that's a staple in pop culture dance moves. Oh, absolutely. Most of you have probably seen the music video in some capacity. Yeah. The full version is 13 minutes long and it's pretty in depth. It tells a lot of different <laughs> stories all at once. But there's a shorter version too if you want to not watch the whole thing. I did a little research and I couldn't find a solid number. What I do know for sure is that they proposed to the record label a $900,000 budget for this video. Whoa. I know. The record label said, heck no, we're not doing that. That was a frightening number. Yeah. Let me remind you, the entire album itself had a budget of $750,000 and they went, we want more than that for this music video. So I think in the end, they negotiated it down and got enough funding. The total budget ended up in the $500,000 range. That's still crazy. I know. It was a worthwhile investment. This sold over, ready? This sold over a million copies on VHS tape. Imagine having a VHS tape of that. Like, that'd be a cool collector's item for Michael Jackson fans. It would, yeah. The music video was directed by John Landis, whose wife actually designed Michael's now iconic red jacket. Actually, if you watch the music video too, a part that I had to laugh at was, you know, Vincent Price is a famous horror movie actor. He's like the guy in scary movies back in the day. Sure. And he is responsible for the dialogue in this song and the iconic evil laugh at the end of it. Oh, okay. That's Vincent price i wondered about that i wondered who did the like talking and the laugh at the end well but in the credits of the music video they credit vincent price's dialogue part as a rap (laughs) which i just i just found that hilarious because it's absolutely not a rap by anything we would call a rap today i don't know he's talking instead of singing Uh, yeah it rhymes you were talking about musical hits that were highlights for the album i think the chorus hit in this song is probably the top i mean the way that they just hit in to that because this is thriller you know the way the music ramps up and yeah oh it's big it's a standout hit it is that's true and when i was watching the 13 minute music video before this episode it was so frustrating because i was waiting for that chorus and waiting for that chorus and obviously they start with this story bit michael jackson is in this movie as a 1950s teen and then we snap out of that scene into the movie theater where his real life girlfriend is scared and during that whole sequence he's teasing her about being scared and that's when he sings all the verses all of them it's close to midnight something evil's lurking in the dark you know he's teasing her as they walk and we just don't get a chorus anywhere there should be a chorus if you're familiar with the recorded version of the song Mm -hmm. and then they just vamped the instrumental part over and over again while they did the zombie dance finally we got to thriller and I was like, oh, it was just such a huge, <laughs> it was so satisfactory to finally hit the chorus in the music video. One of the lines that always hooks me is, you try to scream, but terror takes the sound before you make it. Yeah, that's a good one. Stealthily good. It goes without saying, I think, but I'm going to say it anyways. This song makes it in Connor Top 3. Oh yeah, good choice, good pick, especially on the Halloween episode. It's a pretty great music video, and it ends, of course, with his girlfriend waking up from a dream, and you think it's all been fake, and then he turns around at the camera as Vincent Price does his last evil laugh, and he's got cat eyes, like a monster, and you have to wonder, is he really a monster, or is there more going on? Yeah, it's some Inception-level stuff going on. It's a great music video, and if you're looking for something fun to watch at Halloween, throw Thriller on your rotation. Watch the whole music video, it's worth your time. I'm curious to get your opinion on the next song. It's the most 
repetitive song maybe in Michael Jackson's entire discography. It's Beat It. It's no more repetitive than Wanna Be Starting Something. Mm, you say that. By my count, there were 61 Beat It's. Which also, by the way, means Joan Jett is still the queen. She repeated Nag more times. But 61 Beat It's. All right, that's true. Don't hold on to that. It's been a repetitive award. This came close, and I, I was worried it might overtake. But yes, it also gets snubbed from top three territory simply because of how repetitive it is. I reserved the spots for less repetitive songs. So it gets snubbed from top three. Picky, picky. But I do really like the song. You gotta really like the song. It's a song about knowing when to walk away from a fight. Which is a funny kind of play on words, yeah. It's a clever pun. You gotta beat it or get beat. Yeah, know when to beat it or know when to beat it. Yeah. Michael Jackson said... I wanted to write the type of rock song that I would go out and buy, but also something totally different from the rock music I was hearing on Top 40 Radio. That's what he told Rolling Stone. Mm -hmm. And I think this song really accomplishes all of that really well. Obviously, people wanted to go out and buy it. It's one of the biggest records of all time. And it is very different than rock music. It's still got that same rock undertone and honestly, sometimes overtone. But other times, you know, it's different. It's just got this indelible difference to it. Not quite rock, not quite disco. You know what I mean? It's its own thing yeah one of the lines that got me is in the middle of the chorus you know beat it beat it no one wants to be defeated he says showing how funky and strong is your fight it doesn't matter who's wrong or right just beat it i'm not sure how i feel about how funky your fight is i don't know how funky my own fight is i don't know it's borderline buffoonery i refuse to call it absolute buffoonery it's borderline it's walking a fine line yeah it's walking that line i just really like how the song starts the like bong 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 that it like starts off with almost like a bell type sound it's like a bell but it reminds me of like a countdown it's almost like it's counting down who will fight it's ominous yeah i like it it really makes you anticipate the rest of the song and then it starts up with the drums right in there mm-hmm. it's so clever that you hear the the gong kind of sound and then the first thing you hear is the drums it sucks you straight into the song fun fact from later in the song though eddie van halen played the awesome guitar solo for free yeah i came across that in the fact it's been researched too and i assumed you would have found that so i avoided it you're correct as a guitar player and a fan of van halen and michael jackson i definitely knew that yeah quincy jones actually called eddie up and asked him to contribute the solo and the first three times that he called van halen thought it was a prank call (laughs) so he just hung up on him but then he realized it was legit and he drove himself on over and he had the solo done in half an hour Yeah, uh, there's not a lot of talk about lyrically too much because, again, a lot of the song is Beat It. Yeah. Is this the first song to have a hee-hee in it on the album? Yeah, I think it is the first instance of the iconic hee-hee on this record. Follows it up with a who. He goes, hee-hee-hoo. Right. Up next, the most popular song on the album, according to Spotify, coming in with 967 million plays, Billie Jean. Yeah, but you're basing all this on Spotify. I mean, this album was out. That's the only numbers I have access to. That's fair. And Spotify is going to be more accurate to like what's still popular today, right? Uh, That's, yeah, good point. What's endured. Yeah, what's endured. So like the fact that this is the most played song on Spotify means that this is the song people are going and looking for or is popping up for people. Yeah, I like Billie Jean, but I don't know if I would call it my favorite. I really like this one. It actually makes it onto the counter top three. Wow. That's an interesting thing. Good to know. This is another one of those songs that was sung a lot in my house as a kid. Breaking out into the chorus. Billie Jean. 
Not really? That's weird. Uh, just The other songs where you said that happened, it had some kind of logical context. Yeah, well, this one does too. I can't for the life of me <laughs> think of any reason that you would sing Billie Jean is not my lover. She's just a girl. Go on. We really stopped after the name Billie Jean, usually. It was a lot of times just Billie Jean. Da, 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 da. <laughs> like, that's all we would get to. Oh. Yeah. I don't know. It just, it just came up a lot. Fun fact. I think all facts are fun. Okay. Well, that's not true. <laughs> You're just lying now. <laughs> that mixtaper costume is going to your head. I'm just trying to get in the character. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, sure. But fun fact, during a performance of Billie Jean is when Michael debuted his now famous moonwalk. The video is on YouTube if you're curious. It's a great show. He's an electric performer. Yeah. He does not stop moving. But this is where it came from, Billie Jean. The day after he did it, Fred Astaire, the legendary dancer, called him and congratulated him on the performance, which I thought was an awesome fact. I feel like we need to take a quick spin it tangent here and talk about Michael Jackson's performances and some of the iconic moves he had. I mean, debuting the moonwalk in Billie Jean, it wasn't his first iconic dance move by any means, and it wasn't his last. Four of his biggest ones. You got the moonwalk, right? You got the thing with the gloves in the hands that he does. Oh, yeah. You know, where he, like, shakes his hands. You got the spinning. The spinning is my favorite one, and I don't mean that in an ironic way because our podcast is called Spin It. It's <laughs> actually super cool to watch him spin around so fast. It's super impressive. I don't know how he does it. I meant to actually bring this up when we are talking about the album art, but in between shots, he would go up to a full-length mirror and practice that and so dick got to see that live him practicing those spins he said it was something to really watch i imagine it must have been yeah and then the other one and the one i really want to actually talk about is his kind of gravity defying leans the lean the lean is incredible i mean it's so cool how much do you know about the lean i know enough you know he owned a patent in order to pull that off i believe that yeah a patent on the stage right no on shoes well yeah but he had specially made shoes that allowed him to perform that maneuver yeah well because the stage would have not really nails but little pegs that would come out of it that would anchor him right and the shoes would fit onto those pegs and enable him to lean and support his body weight yeah so he got a patent approved for the design of those shoes and the locking mechanism that would lock him in the shoes were also specially weighted to help him with the moonwalk as well uh not that he needed much help he could do it pretty well on his own but it just helped with balance and things like that i mean as someone with two left feet who's never even tried to claim i can dance it's so impressive to watch a good moonwalker do it in my head i can visualize how the moves are working i just i can't put it together it's fascinating can i get a video that we can put on social media of you trying to moonwalk nope <laughs> with a shot <laughs> yeah so I, I don't know i feel like those are his four biggest moves that get referenced a lot yeah those are the big four yeah so that ends the michael jackson dance move tangent yeah back to billy jean michael wrote billy jean specifically because he wanted a song quote with a good bass hook as it turns out, Quincy Jones was not too happy with the bass line, or the intro, or the title. He wanted the whole song off the record, or he at least wanted the title changed. Any guesses who won that argument? <laughs> I'm glad they didn't take it off the album or change anything about it. Like I said, I really like the song. I know. Quincy Jones, in his own words, said, The intro was so long you could shave during it. I said we had to get to the melody sooner, but Michael said that that was what made him want to dance. It was the song's jelly. And when Michael Jackson says something makes him want to dance, you don't argue. So he won. 
So the song starts off with this synthesizer and the bass groove. That's the jelly. That's the jelly section of the song. The song is primarily about rupees. Yeah, the song is based on real life, but not Michael's real life. Yeah, well, it's based on him and the Jackson 5's experience with groupies. Yeah, his less so, more of his brothers. Billy Jean, he said, is a composite of people my brothers have been plagued with over the years because women would claim that his brothers were their children's fathers. Yeah. And actually, there was a time that this happened to Michael himself. There was a woman that claimed he fathered one of her twins. <laughs> Just one. She needs to get in touch with the scrolls in the math department to help with the math on that. He said in a 1996 interview in Thailand that they, being the groupies, would hang around backstage uh, and any band that would come to town they would have a relationship with. And I think I wrote this about an experience with my brothers when I was little. There would be lots of Billie Jeans out there. Every girl claimed that their son was related to one of my brothers. Yeah, so there is no real Billie Jean, but the kid is definitely not his son. It's Billie Jean is really like a type of person. Yeah, I like this song. I don't necessarily love the bass groove 100% for me, but it does prove to be an excellent background for the synth. I think it lays the foundations for that very well. And I love how we build this whole innuendo around the idea of dancing on the floor in the round. That's the image that keeps coming up over and over again. I really like the line in verse two, for 40 days and 40 nights, the law was on her side, but who can stand when she is in demand? That's such a good one. Well, and that's got some interesting imagery behind it. You know, the 40 days and 40 nights thing is in Genesis 5, and it's a program people use to heal. Yeah. It's also the length of length. Like, there's a lot going on there with the imagery behind 40 Days and 40 Nights. It's a symbolism-packed phrase. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, so this one makes Connor top three. As it should, I, I think. Is that two in your top three now? Thriller and... Yeah, Thriller and Billie Jean. And Baby Be Mine was the... Honorable mention. mention, yes. Let's talk about the next track, Human Nature. Track seven. What do you think about this song? Human Nature was a sleeper track for me. It's never one that I think of when I think about Thriller, and it's never one that I'm like, I want to go listen to that. But when you sit down and you do listen to it, it's a really well done song. It's a hidden gem on this album of very overt gems, you know? Yeah, it's like the gem that was like tucked behind the diamonds. You're like, oh, look at all these diamonds we found. Oh, and there's an emerald back there we didn't see. You know, it wasn't hidden amongst dirt. It was just hidden amongst other shiny objects. Sure. Yeah. This is the song that really was almost the honorable mention. I ended up giving it to Baby Be Mine, but this was the big one. Yeah, I understand the indecision either way on that. This song made it all the way up to number seven on the Hot 100. Nice. And this is another one that's not a Michael Jackson original. He didn't write it, but that's okay. I think he gets a pass for all the other great stuff that he wrote. Steve Porcaro from Toto is the one who wrote this song. Oh, see, that feels right. He said he wrote this song while he was messing around on a piano while they were mixing Africa, one of their most famous songs. So small world. Yeah, you said that, and just hearing the beginning of how the song starts, it just feels right that Toto is the one that. Yeah. <laughs> Here's a little bit of music nerd trivia. The song starts off in the key of D major, but it actually ends in D minor. So if you're listening to the song, listen for the change. It comes near the end of the song. There's an instrumental breakdown, and it ends in the minor key. Very unusual. Uh yeah, that was a bit of nerd trivia. I know. I figured it'd be lost on you, but that one wasn't for you. That was for the <laughs> audience. Well, audience, I hope you enjoyed it. I mean, just listen to some of these lyrics the city winks a sleepless eye and he talks about the sweet seducing sights like it's very atmospheric it's just a song about the guy that wants to get out into the world and explore it's so wondrous and awestruck i really like the imagery behind the line if this town is just an apple then let me take a bite yeah i was skeptical on that line at first i mean it's a little out there i don't want to call it buffoonery but it's another one that kind of skirts the line 
it's one of those things that like if you're gonna make a line about a town being an apple and like kind of going with that imagery of like the big apple you know yeah then the line then let me take a bite is a clever way to wrap up that right if that's gonna be your starting point you picked a good ending point exactly the line sweet seducing size is a good one too i like the s it's again just this air of innocence and in the second verse we kind of grow up a little bit talking about touching a stranger and locking eyes with a girl maybe having that electric connection every section every verse is so bite-sized it's a little quick flash like the song moves by so fast Mm -hmm. despite being such a slow ballad and i love the change from verse one to verse three where he changes from looking across the nighttime to looking across the morning that's the indication that this whole song covers this very subtle love story in a very tasteful way you know this is a song about staying with someone overnight that you can play in front of your kids because it's so delicately presented yeah the reason this song loses out the baby be mine i think has to do with how bite-sized the verses are compared to the amount of chorus there is. You get a lot of whys in there. You do. That's just human nature. (laughs) I think while human nature doesn't have the punch or the pop of most of the earlier tracks on this record, even the other love songs, honestly, it is so saturated with emotion. I think it really becomes, like we said, the hidden gem. Yeah. This is the track that is super worth your while to dig into, even though it's more of an album deep cut. Uh, Are you ready to move on to the final Connor Top 3 song? Oh, I am ready. I like the next song a lot. And I don't know. I know it gets a lot of play. I think PYT, pretty young thing, maybe a little underrated. On Spotify, it is. It only has 248 million. Nowhere near the Beat It's and Thrillers and Billy Jeans of the album. See, I've always thought that Pretty Young Thing is one of the stronger songs on Thriller. I would agree. And it's just not one that people talk about a lot. I feel like it doesn't generate the same hype as Billy Jean or Beat It. You don't hear it playing as much. Yeah, I don't know. Michael Jackson did write Pretty Young Thing. Sort of. He wrote a totally different song with the same title. And Quincy Jones hated the song, but he loved the title. So he got together with James Ingram, and they came up with Pretty Young Thing 2.0, the song that we know and love today. This song features his sisters, right? They're the ones doing the na-na-na-na's? Yeah, the echoes on the bridge. Those are done by Janet and LaToya Jackson. This song has the certified buffoonery lyric for me, kinda. Oh, what's that? And it was maybe just because it was a term I'd never heard before and had to look up and found it kind of ridiculous. The word tin Tenderoni. Yeah, that's unusual. <laughs> Nowadays, that's not when you hear a lot. Yeah, apparently it's a term of endearment for an attractive woman who's usually typically younger than you. Also, fun fact, Tenderoni was also an easy-to-make stovetop macaroni product sold from the 1950s until the 1980s. <laughs> you think that's what he meant, maybe? <laughs> PYT was the sixth top 10 hit from Thriller, which is absolutely insane. Again, nine songs on this record. This is the sixth top 10 crazy 1982 michael jackson was a machine i think this is a great way to break up the slow songs that close out this album you know human nature certified ballad the lady in my life it's not quite the same level of slow song but it's also nothing like thriller or beat it or want to be starting something sure so i think this is a good bridge that fills that gap and i absolutely adore the synth fills on the chorus yeah it's so good it is it really is and you know how we talked about the subtlety of human nature how they tap all these mature themes in a gentle way let's just throw all that out the window for track eight (laughs) no more subtlety it's kind of right there not a bad thing necessarily but just a thing i noticed in the change between those two songs it's it's so catchy though i want to 
love you, PYT, pretty young thing. Yeah, it's so good, and you need some loving TLC, tender loving care. Yeah. The echoes on the acronyms are so good. It's smart. And again, it reminds me a lot of respect, right? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. The level of energy and the style are very similar. Sure, yeah. Not just because it's letters. Yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about the crazy robot voice on the bridge that's paired with that guitar. Is that a heck yes or a heck no from you? Uh, it's a take it or leave it from me. I don't hate it, but I don't love it either. So if it was there or not, it doesn't really change my opinion. Yeah. On a scale of heck yes to heck no, I'm a heck maybe. (laughs) I'm just a heck. (laughs) (laughs) And the other thing we have to talk about is the Alvin and the Chipmunks type high-pitched outro. That's something, isn't it? Yep. And the batch of episodes between episodes, you know, episodes 11 through 20, you've given me several Alvin and the Chipmunks. The only one really is Electric Guest. I don't think you could say the Smashing Pumpkins did anything remotely like Alvin and the Chipmunks, but yeah, you know. Fair enough. That high-pitched singing was done by Michael himself. Obviously, they've jacked up the pitch and they've changed it a bunch, but I found a recording of that audio isolated and then slowed down, and you can hear what he actually sounded like singing it. Did he, like, artificially try to raise his voice as well, like anyone who's doing that normally would? No, not at all. Really? No, he sang it normally, and then it got weird later. Should we talk about the last track, The Lady in My Life? Yeah, it sucks that this song ends the album because it's one of my least favorites. Yeah, same. It's in the bottom three as well. It's like, man, this doesn't end the album as well as it deserves. I think this is the most underwhelming song for me personally. It feels like the weakest track. I'd probably agree. Again, you're going to be shocked by this maybe, or maybe not, but it also still has more plays on Spotify than Baby B. Munn. Sad. I think the horn part was really great, and it's a sweet ballad, but it is just the worst music and the worst lyrics on the record. It's kind of a one-two punch of not being the best. Yeah. But, of course, I got a a little caveat. On a record like Thriller, I think the bar for music and lyrics is so insanely high that that's really not saying much at all. Yeah. I think The Lady in My Life is still going to be a better song than a lot of other songs. It's just that it's the little fish in the big pond, which is, I know how the saying is usually the other way around, but this is just the most unimportant impressive bit of this record yeah it's it's really like a medium fish in the ocean <laughs> wow that feels like a demotion yeah it's a medium fish you know it's better than your typical little fish songs it's a it's a medium fish it's a good song but it's stuck in such a great album the album is the ocean stuck in but the metaphor is about the ratio of fish to water you know a big fish in a little pond doesn't have enough well this would be the ratio of good songs to i think i think i, th- I think it still works whatever i think we're reading too much into this we're taking it too seriously I don't think the song needs to be five minutes long. It absolutely does not. Although, I will say, it goes by remarkably quickly, but yeah. Uh, it's I don't have a lot to say about this song. I mean... I don't either, frankly. There's one line in verse two I do kind of like. Yeah, which one's that? His rhyming scheme for reach out to a fantasy, two hearts in a beat of ecstasy. I don't know, I like that. Yeah. Two hearts in a beat of ecstasy. The play on words there was beat because two hearts beating, but then in a beat of ecstasy. Right. I don't know, I, I, I kind of like that. Yeah, I think that was the standout line for the song too it's that's pretty much what it has to offer again not a bad song just on this record it's the burnt toast of songs on the album still edible and some people like it but not nearly as good <laughs> whatever guess that moves us on to our spooky final spin so it does man we're already here i don't think i have a lot to say in the final spin that we didn't cover to some degree in our actual analysis so i guess i'll kind of keep it short and sweet on the whole musically this album is so catchy the chords are so well thought out and so well put together the melodies get stuck in your head so hard yeah this record is well loved and so iconic for a reason and it's because these songs are so good frankly that's what it boils down to so music at the end of the day is getting a 
pretty high, 96 for me, nearly as high as it can go. Not as high as we've seen, though, I don't think. You've done higher than 96 before. It's it's one of the highest music scores I've given. Pink Floyd, Dark Side of the Moon got a 98 in music, but this is close behind it in terms of music. Yeah. We're talking about lyrics. Like I said, the lyrics are so sneaky on this record. They're easy to overlook if you're caught up in the melodies and the beat of everything. 